Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. So in the show, we have Mark Burstiner. He's the creator of a blockchain-based card game. This is Technotopia. Technotopia is also sponsored by CheapTranscription.io. Cheap Transcription offers 10 cent per minute transcription using our happy robots or 85 cents per minute using our human assistants. CheapTranscription.io is cheaper and faster than everyone else. CheapTranscription.io. Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have uh, Mark Burstiner, founder of Playproof, uh, the creators of a digital card game. Mark, we've been—I uh, think we've been hanging out on Twitter and in the onlines for uh, for most of three decades. I think at this point, uh, how have you been? I've been as well as one can be <laughs> in, in in 2019 <laughs> on Earth. But you're living in a you're living in Lisbon now, which is good. So that's a uh, that's we were just talking about this that you're uh, you're hanging out over there. I am. I or am not Lisbon, I, Faro, uh, Faro, Faro, right? Yeah, a little bit in Faro, a little bit in Lisbon. Um, but yeah, we're working with the the Algarve Tech Hub out here in Portugal. They're trying to turn the southern region of Portugal into a tech hub, and and yeah, and Faro is in that region. Yeah. So I yeah I was just there, I guess a week ago. So it's I really like it out there. Um, yeah. So let's 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 get into uh, what you guys are working on. You guys are working on sort of a, a, a like a crypto card game or something like that. Yeah, dead on, dead on. Uh, we we kind of looked around the space in like 2017 or so, and kind of asked ourselves, what does what does this technology look like when applied to a game, mm-hmm. uh, and what might be the best vehicle to do it? Because as we started to like really wrap our heads around me anyway, wrap my head around uh, the applied cryptography space, it became apparent that these are these networks are all games. Uh, they're all game theory, but no game design. Uh, and mm-hmm. if we were able to sort of uh, take the technology and apply it from the perspective of the top down, uh, from a game first perspective, uh, what would that look like? And uh, we kind of landed on a card game. Okay. So why don't you talk about a little bit? Um, so how are all these things games? That's actually an interesting point. I've never even, I've, I mean, kind of you're thinking to yourself, like, this is a new economy and the economy is kind of a game, et cetera, et cetera. But what are you, what are you thinking in terms of like, crypto collectibles or what's the, uh, what's the uh, background here? Well, Bitcoin's a game. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Any any crypto network, any blockchain is a game. Uh, when you actually look at the code, uh, what, what's actually happening is there's a deadline uh, by which the uh, the miners must have come up with the next appropriate hash for the next block that needs to match the block from the the the, the, ha- or the hash from the block prior. Um, it's just a competition. It's just a, a processing competition. Uh, so mm-hmm. the entire thing is built on on these theories, these game theories that. Uh, we need to incentivize the behavior that we want and decentivize and penalize uh, the the bad actor behavior that we don't want. So it's really ultimately a game. And then when you zoom out a little bit more and look at crypto games in the context of the last two, three years or so, as Ethereum has given the rise to dApps, um, a lot of them, most of them are, are all playing the same game. Like you said, capitalism. Can you get this thing before it's worth too much so that now you're the one who has the value? Uh, and we think that if we approach a crypto network from the perspective of a game first, that sort of exposes all of its uh, soft, juicy parts uh, that still have a lot of levers and knobs and buttons to push in terms of uh, how humans impact them. So that's actually a, that's actually an important point to think. Like, w- why don't we consider um, why don't we consider the current financial system a game, or or I guess do we? 
I think we do. I think it's just uh, a little bit buried. Uh, there's a great book called Reality is Broken by Jane McGonigal, uh, and there have been a lot of, of papers and books that I've consumed over the last decade or so about how games are very much a, a part of, of humans. Um, it's, it's the future. Of, games are the future of work. They're the future of human governance. Um, they are the future of how we interact. Uh, for better or for worse, Ready Player One put this in a lot of people's minds. I'm not a huge fan of the book or the movie, but uh, it is a, a great touchstone for a lot of folks. When I start having these kinds of conversations, they're like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, like Ready Player One. And I'm like, oh, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're very close to a point where uh, our digital lives can more accurately represent our meat space lives because the advent of applied cryptography gives us the opportunity to have this uh uh, we call it a, a technical skeuomorphism, where like when uh, when iPhones came out, a lot of our uh, UIs, the the things we were touching and looking at and seeing, uh, were were analogs to our physical meat space objects, like the calculator mm-hmm. on your iPhone. Uh, well, now we have the ability to do that under the hood, where uh, an object from the real world can retain a lot more of its properties in the digital world, like scarcity and uniqueness. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. So the so the the ability to the ability to earn these things is it's kind of a race, right? So so when you're when you're mining Bitcoin, for example, and I don't want to get too deep into the into the Bitcoin world, but we're we're mining Bitcoin. We're basically in a race, very similar to the freaking uh, what are you player one kind of race, where everybody's like I don't know, in some kind of crazy crazy space cars, etc. Do we need yeah. <laughs> do we need that that skeuomorphism to understand uh, the world? What's what's happening there? Why why do you think we need that? Why do you think we need those analogs to uh, to, hap- to to help us understand or manage ourselves in this in this crazy world? Sure, sure. Uh, well, we're spending more and more of our time uh, in in these worlds, wherever they are. For any particular person, there's this advent of the third space emerging, where uh, you spend a third of your time at home, a third of your time at work, and a third of your time in this you know escapism mode where you we've all sort of like selected one universe that we opt into uh for me it's destiny like that's like the de facto game that i play where when my mind is wandering i'm sort of like living in the destiny universe and uh, that's becoming truer and truer for a younger and younger generation um and even if we are in a position where we manage not to destroy this rock we're floating on uh we got to get to space that's definitely the next step um, so we're going to need ways to, to uh, you know, not just necessarily amuse ourselves, but if we agree that the future of work and the future of education is also in the context of games, then ways to mm-hmm. challenge ourselves. And that's really what games well, hold on. are. Um, there are means through well, which... Let's, let's go yeah. back to that. That's an actually interesting point. Like, in, in, your, in your day-to-day, do you sit there and think to yourself, like, do you imagine the world of destiny... Every once in a while, I find myself slipped in there. These days, it's definitely a lot more like I find myself in the universe of beyond uh, because we are writing <laughs> writing it you know, mm-hmm. as we speak. Uh, so the more, the more time I spend, uh, uh, not idling, but you know, in that, uh, that writer's mode where everything I'm doing is writing even if I'm not typing, um, the more I find myself in the world of beyond. But I do find myself playing games with myself on the daily. Uh, and I, I play a little game of optimization, of, of, of task stacking, of, you know, um, I kind of imagine if there were a layer of Beyond or a layer of Destiny, you know, overlaid uh, uh, on top of my day-to-day activities, you know, that might be a more pervasive experience. Hmm. And you want, but do you want that? Do you want that experience? Do you want to be sitting in a world where where the 
where stuff is overlaid over your over your corpus, I guess, and you experience. Uh, I mean, I guess you experience the the game world within in real life. Is that what you're talking about? Because this is this is. I think for me, it's a little bit more of like a separate cycle. Um, it's like a separate cycle that I keep sort of in the back of my mind. It's this other ongoing parallel mm-hmm. universe, right? There's this other place that exists that's living and breathing aside from the meat space that I'm inhabiting right now as I go through my day-to-day tasks. So uh, when I say a more pervasive experience, we don't imagine it to be something where it's like VR and it's like augmented reality. And you know, you're constantly thinking about the game in terms of uh, the actions that you're taking in the day-to-day. Um, but we are sort of, breaching into meat space because we do have things like mining and we do have things like player staking where um, this is such a great example. We selected a card game because there are things that you can do with digital cards that you Mm -hmm. can't do with physical cards, right? Like I, I, I had the privilege of, of growing up, uh, uh, you know, middle-class cis hetero uh, white passing dude in, in New Jersey. And I got the privilege of playing magic, the gathering on like on a weekly basis. And, I got the privilege of over time building up an incidental and incremental store of value. And now I'm in a position where if, you know, something horrible happened to our dog, I could sell my magic collection for like 4,000, 5,000 bucks if I really wanted to. Um, that's not an opportunity <laughs> a whole lot of people have. That's, uh, but, <laughs> right? I, mean, I think that the, uh, right. if we go back, if we, I want to go back to this, this, this is pretty cool. Uh, this is a pretty cool like chain uh, that you basically just described because you grew up in New Jersey and you're and you're cis white, and uh, you played a lot of magic. Now, if something happens to your dog, you're going to be okay, <laughs> which I think is. I, I mean, I'm not super stressed is, out about it. I think that's it. the you're most right, 2019 you know, like, sentence that I've ever heard. Yeah, that's I'll great. take it. Hey, send me my, my YouTube plaque. I'll I'll sign. I'll hang it up on the wall. Um, but the idea is that this collection of cards that I have sitting on my shelf, that is this you know store of value, uh, so to speak. Uh, is something that could be put to work. You know, I wouldn't lend that to a stranger from the internet because paper mm-hmm. cards get lost, destroyed, or stolen. And digital cards don't have that problem. And if we have uniqueness, then we have the and we have staking against a crypto network, then we have the ability for players to, when they're not playing with their collection, lend it to other players. And that's effectively the free-to-play version mm-hmm. of the game. So when you come to play a match having never played, oh, I got before, you. Yeah, you yeah, rent okay, a deck I got you. So you, you can basically give out like uh, you can give out cards to your to your buddies or whatever, right? Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we can give the governance over, let's say, an order book to our player base, so that when there's an ongoing set of deck lists and the metagame has changed over time, uh, the the players are the ones who are in control of the order books, like you might imagine them from like the OX project. Um, that's basically really all this is when you distill it down to the mm-hmm. to, to the uh, close to the metal layer. Uh, so players will be able to uh, stake their cards against the network uh, to vote against what happens to the rules of the game, to the future of the game, what's considered a, a, a valid format, what has material mm-hmm. payouts, and so on and so forth. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Yeah. So let's go back. Uh, let's, let's go back a little bit to the um, to the the future i guess so are are we looking at a future where this is commonplace where this sort of thing happens all the time for folks we like to think so uh we think that games are changing a lot (laughs) these days uh and changing fast and so is the crypto space but games are moving towards this games as a service model 
um, that I think a few games have proven how to do well and how to do, and a few have, have proven how to do it poorly. Uh, I think Warframe is a great example of how to do it mm-hmm. really, really well. Uh, Warframe really respects the player's time. Um, they do have the ability to buy frames, but uh, it's 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 priced in such a way that it feels as though your time and your attention is being respected. And that's kind of what we're trying to approach here is uh, we see a future where games are a little bit more a part of the fabric of everyday human society. Um, and if that is true, then the, the players are going to care even more about how they're mm-hmm. governed. Uh, and what we're trying to do is use Beyond as dog food to try and close that feedback loop between a constituent and a governance uh, so that we can build a card game that belongs to everyone is hypothetically something that we can take to space with us. You know, it's not something that's owned by Hasbro like okay. Magic is. That's that's actually an interesting point. I think that's I don't think a lot of people think about that in uh, in a real sense. The games are games like chess have been around with us for for centuries, and nobody really owns chess per se. But the idea that a game could could percolate out of the culture is kind of interesting and important, right? Agreed. Agreed. That's that's precisely uh, that's precisely the idea. Games like Go and chess, uh, and you know, like even even basketball and football, even though they're owned right now, you know, from an American perspective by the NFL, NBA, etc. Um, these are games that you can date back all the way to old times i don't have a specific Mm -hmm. number but you know forever long ago (laughs) um and we imagine that uh that that mechanic of of uh, of of human thinking is going to be a huge component with how we uh we interact with one another on a global basis okay Hmm. all right very cool no no i think think it makes sense we're uh we're 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 doing a little uh we're doing a little wackiness here because i'm basically asking questions that may or may not be uh may or not be pertinent here for the uh, for the thing what is what do games look like in the future is every game does every game look like your game are there still do we still play board games um of course we still play board games you know of course just like you can have a uh, an officially sanctioned nba game you can play pro you can of course just play a mm-hmm. game of basketball at home with house rules right so um the the traditional model of games isn't going anywhere but we do have now this opportunity to create this new kind of game where that feedback loop is so is so tight um i think the uh the the existence of a central third party in games is never going to disappear because the truth is that creativity is a carpool not a caravan and that's not really something that you can do in a decentralized fashion and wind up with a product that is even remotely comparable to something that has a leader with a clear vision uh in the driver's seat so um, there will always be games as we know them today. Uh, this is just an opportunity for a new kind. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, so the do we ever enter in like an Ender's Game kind of situation where so where we train our children, basically using these tools, basically using games as a training tool? Yeah, that's hundred percent. I mean, like that's kind of how I see Magic: The Gathering. You know, taught me a lot about math, taught me a lot about reading. I was good at it in school to begin with, but I didn't realize that I was just honing those skills outside of school when I was playing. Um, the way that we've designed the game is the the cards are minted uh, mostly blank, right? We we design a little skill tree for them. They have a name, they have art, uh, and they have some base stats. But they become something all unto themselves when you start playing with them. You, you play uh, and you upgrade them with the materials that you've earned and you can take them down at one skill tree or another, one path or another. Um, so over time, 
they change and we imagine that players will, will be in a position where they'll be able to play the metagame as much as they play a match against their brother or sister online, um, where if they are so tapped into the metagame, like one might be with Magic or Hearthstone, they could play uh, with a particular strategy in mind, knowing that there's going to be a rotation in four to six months from now. Uh, they might say to themselves, I think that this strategy, this archetype is going to be prominent and prevalent, and I can spend my time during mm-hmm. my gameplay uh, to upgrade my cards in that direction so that after rotation, they might see a, uh, a spike in value or uh, they, they, will, they will be you know, sorely needed or wanted because there's going to be a card minted in the next run uh, that we need this hoser for for a particular counter strategy to keep the metagame healthy. Uh, and those order books will all be uh, defined by the statistics from the game itself. So uh, there's, an, there's an incentive uh, for players to play not just the game itself, but play the metagames. It's entirely possible a kid could you know, break the game effectively uh, and find themselves in a position where they're making very lucrative decisions. So I think I don't think a lot of people have been uh, have been asking this question, and and I think this is an interesting uh, interesting um, point that you're actually building you're building games within a within a crypto framework, right? So you're you're building essentially crypto games. Um, does crypt does cryptocurrency work? Uh, why did you choose that versus any other uh, potential system? Sure. Well, what we're doing is we're forking Decred uh, because Decred is is the only chain in production with a working off-chain forum and working on-chain governance mechanism. Um, they've they've been in mainnet for years and it's been functioning uh, with all its flaws and with all of its benefits. Um, so we're we're forking that because we think we kind of think that the governance mechanism is more important. Uh, than, than the rest of the features on a chain like that. It all kind of really comes down to good governance. We tend to agree with like Chris Berniski and, and placeholder mm-hmm. capital and things like that, placeholder VC, excuse me. Um, and with we, we, we feel that way because um, if we are going to get to a point where we're all transacting digitally, we kind of feel like that might be a little bit more to do with the, the things that are pulling us to these digital realms. Uh, it's really difficult to, to get... Uh, consensus when you're talking about something as fourth wall breaking and as contentious as money. Um, Money is a function of society, not the other way around, right? So we imagine that uh, by building a community, a small society around something like a set of rules for a game, instead of uh, designing the rules of the game around the economic aspects, uh, that we can find ourselves in a position where people are more interested in learning about the technology. Uh, and that's ultimately how I think we got ourselves here. We, we left this like huge dearth of, of, of technological understanding um, over the last few decades, over the last 30, 40 years or so. We let technology become this like niche hobby uh, when in reality it touches literally every single vertical mm-hmm. of our lives. Hmm. And, are you, and you're seeing that this is, this is pretty, this is actively encouraging people to become uh, I guess, aware of the technology? Yeah, we kind of want to incept the youngest generation, you know, into into realizing that, you know, it's actually really not all that scary or obtuse. It's just a new paradigm that you're going to have to learn when, in order to interact with computers safely. Um, as As more and more human beings start to realize that there is no such thing as a free service. If it seems free, it's because you're paying for it with your data. Um, the, the more people start to realize that over the last 10 years, we became comfortable with free services by mortgaging our personal lives 
um, data sovereignty is going to become more and more important to everybody. So we need to kind of do the legwork now to speak to the youngest generation that Mm -hmm. we can, uh, that we possibly can and help them understand, hey, this is really no different than jumbling the alphabet in fifth grade and sending a note to Sally across the room so that if the teacher got it, she couldn't read it because you both knew how you jumbled the alphabet the day prior at recess. Um, It's the same idea. Uh, it's just that it's just like when uh, we got used to username and passwords when we moved away from just a phone mm-hmm. number in our Rolodex, right? Um, we, we had to learn, okay, well, now I have an email address and now I need a password for each individual thing. Now we need to learn that we have a seed phrase and a private and public key. And it's just going to take a little bit of time and some elbow grease and speaking to the youngest generation hmm. to get there. Okay, very cool. Um, what, does, uh, what does the world look like in 20 years? Uh, f- I mean, for you and for... for- anybody you know, uh, not necessarily in gaming, but just in general? Well, assuming yeah. we make it that far, um, part, of the, part of the reason uh, we're working on a game is because we really believe that games, especially in 2019 with Fidelity increasing... Are you, are you actively month, worried we're not going to make uh, it that, that far? Games... Mm-hmm. Of course. I mean, like, it's, it's not exactly pretty out there right now. Um, the, you know, we've, we've only got so long a runway before... Uh, before climate change becomes irreversible and catastrophically so. Um, so one of the things that we see uh, as a responsibility of ours as a game is to reflect to the world a vision for the future that it's willing to actualize. Uh, there are so many games, like, you know, like the number one game for the last like decade and a half is Call of Duty. Uh, and as fun as it is to shoot things, I love doing it in Destiny too. It feels good in the brain zone. Uh, but the the uh, the story, I think, leaves a little bit to be desired there. So, in in the world of beyond, it takes place in this far flung post singularity, post scarcity future uh, where we're all space uh, cow people gallivanting around the solar system, sucking ether out of ether writs, uh, which is kind of how we've gotten to this age of, of prosperity. Um, and what's happened in that future's past is uh, kind of our future in this present. Uh, and what happened in the story is this youngest generation on Earth around the time, you know, around now in their past, uh, got wise and realized that we only had 10, 15, maybe 20 years tops mm-hmm. to, to fix this problem, dispersed around the globe to the sunniest areas on it and, and homestead, learned how to homestead. We made homesteading cool uh, where, you know, we kind of realized we can take up as little space as possible on this meat space now. Uh, because we have the advent of the internet, we have the free flow of information technology, uh, so we can be always connected mm-hmm. if we wish to be, uh, and we can we can live in such a way uh, that not just you know the environmental impact that we each have individually, but we can have the difficult conversations around the the, the politics surrounding these things, um, all the way down to you know I want to support uh, moving directly to solar. I want to stop. Uh, you consuming fossil fuels and the only way that we we get the the you know 50 to 100 companies that are um, uh, causing these changes to 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 shift their perspective is by hitting them where it hurts in in the wallet Uh, these youngest generations coming up have to decide for themselves and for their own futures uh, that that destroying this rock isn't going to help anybody out uh, and that living a, a you know as a small an impact a, a life as possible uh, while increasing that impact in the digital realm. Uh, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to get too. Uh, I don't want to go too down on the into uh, the uh, sadness quotient. But I think that's that's an interesting point. All right. So so what else? What does <laughs> look? What does the world look like if 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 everything is okay? 
if everything is okay, we've all spread out into the sunniest places on Earth and figured out how to uh, take up as little space as possible while having maximal, mm-hmm. maximum impact. Um, we've, we've, uh, we've read a lot about earth ships. Uh, that's a part of, part of the movements, uh, part of the entire movement in the long term, in the long tail, uh, for the game, uh, to, to really try and help people understand that you can, you can play games like this. You can still be connected with all of your friends and family and live in a, in a place that's beautiful. If you can learn to do the things that your meat body mm-hmm. needs to survive, um, which seems so far into so many young people these days because they've grown up with, uh, YouTube in their faces. Um, so in, in 20 years, assuming we don't burn the rock to the ground, uh, we've gotten to a place where we realize we're all in it together and we're all on this one space ship, one space rock floating, <laughs> hurtling through the solar system. We got to start to treat Earth like a spaceship. Um, and I think that if we, uh, if we make it through the next 10 years, I would love to see that in the next 20, we all get wise and realize that it's not smart uh, to be thrown, you know, Poop, yeah. poop and where you eat. I don't remember how much right. swearing I podcast, can do here. So nobody, we, we, I guess, I mean, presumably nobody if you're in. listening to this with the kids <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the car, then uh, then you have really cool kids. So I think it'll be okay. Um, yeah, but let's, Ooh. so let's, Ooh, yeah. just one last, I think one last point on that. I think that's an interesting, how, how do you get, how do you get the next generations interested in that, in that, in that concept? I don't think we can get the baby boomers interested. And Gen X, like myself, we're already a little bit too grumpy and, and annoying that, that we don't really, we're not quite there either. I think that there's, I think right. something, something can happen that, that's, that can flip us, but what will flip, what will flip somebody who was born in the nineties and two thousands? I think when they start to realize uh, that they're looking at, especially the folks who were born in the two thousands, you know, if you're born in uh, 20, 2009, 2010, by the time you get to, thinking about mm-hmm. your college choices uh, and what uh, those are for in the long term, uh, it, it might start to dawn on you like, hey, uh, I don't know that I'll ever really afford a house. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, I don't know that I, like with the, the way that things are, unless unless I do something differently now, I don't know that my kids will be able to afford a house. And that's ultimately like what we look to the future for when we think about our careers and, and what to do with them and, our, and what to do with our lives. Um, I think that we will we'll start to get a little bit closer to our passion being uh, uh, closer to the top of that list. But we think that if we can paint a picture for the, exactly that generation that we're talking about, um, that kind of makes mm-hmm. it seem attainable and uh, paints a picture for what might come after, uh, that that might spark enough passion, almost like a sort of second space race where we're looking towards the stars with wonder and not fear. Uh, And if anything's going to flip Gen X, it's going to be that. It's going to be that youngest generation finding the fire in them because you're right, Gen X is freaking tired. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) yeah, it's kind of, it's it's a sad (laughs) sad concept, but yeah, we're basically in that situation where they, where we where we're, where Gen X is basically letting the letting the the, the big monuments fall, uh, and trying to bring up yeah. and help I mean, bring you're up out the of new steam. ones. Well, the millennials are basically kind of like, hey, let's just uh, let's have let's rock and roll. Um, our- yeah. And I mean, the, I agree. I'm one of them. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm 30. You know, like I'm in I'm in a position where. What are we going to do if not at least try are real we, hard? Are we looking for like a new summer of love coming up? Is this will this will that happen? I think it feels like uh, it feels like that the next generations are are going to be doing all kinds of wacky stuff that that maybe we don't even understand. 
You know, I think that's a really funny and interesting way to put it. Um, I think Summer of Love is really cute, but I think I would take it one step further. I think there's, you know, for even though it's a bit of a double-edged sword, the conversation around self-care and self-love uh, is kind of uh, on the tips of everyone's tongues. And it definitely is, you know, the pendulum has swung towards one direction where a lot of folks are starting to, you know, discover it and explore it and kind of maybe misuse it a little bit. But I do think maybe we're approaching a new mm-hmm. summer of self-love where we realize that, hey, we as humans have built so much. Um, and this is the first time that the veil has mm-hmm. kind of been lifted and we can see ourselves in the mirror uh, technologically uh, for the first time ever. And, and I think that for the most part, people really want to uh, run from it. But the, the trick is staring at the most disgusting parts of yourself until you can start to see past those, those uh, first few layers and discover how, how you really arrived at that point. So uh, I think if, if we as humans are able to sort of like look, uh, look inward, maybe hit ourselves a little less because it's not like we're in a, a fabulous situation here. Uh, we all contributed a little bit uh, and kind of give ourselves permission to, to forgive ourselves uh, and try and keep our eyes forward. Uh, we might wind up in a position where we, we build things that are what technology is in the first place, an extension of humanity. There's no such thing as a, as a neutral algorithm, you know? Uh, and as AOC said, if, if you're not fixing the bias, mm-hmm. you're automating the bias. So if we can start to really kind of understand that what we're doing when we're building these crypto networks is training the very first AIs, the very first artificial sentient beings in existence, that what we really need to do is lean hard into empathy, lean hard into helping them understand what makes a human a human and not just uh, the data that's All in right. the ledger. Very cool. Mark, thanks you for joining us uh, on Technotopia. Where can, where can people find out about the game? Where should they go download it or whatever? Well, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at Mark B. You can follow the game at Go Beyond and definitely do that soon. We're going to be taking the account private very soon as we start to release more and more of the story uh, and the characters that we'll be revealing over the next few months. Uh, we have a Kickstarter coming and we have an Ethereum sale coming. And right now, if you go to beyond.com, B-A-E-O-N-D.com, you can buy a deck uh, for Bitcoin. And that's the way that you can get in the fastest. Buying with Bitcoin will ensure that you are at the front of the list for early access because um, uh, that's I think maybe the, the thing we're trying to drive home so yeah that's where you can find us and thank you All so right. much for having Thanks me John for listening great. to Technotopia I'm John Biggs we will see you next week Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp Happy Fun Corp is a design driven technology company in Brooklyn New York that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and fortune 500 companies Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com